Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. Denver Sports Station 1043, the band presents Chad and Nate. Broncos cut downs. They cut five players yesterday. Among them, Chad, Joe Schobert, the inside linebacker that was supposed to kind of help us out of the doldrums on defense. How did that happen so fast? Uh, I think what happens is when you're, you know, a guy like Joe Schobert, you're coming off your couch. Your ability to get up to speed with the offense, and, oh, I'm sorry, with the defense, uh, didn't have a padded practice, wasn't done much uh, help from the lack of uh, intensity in the practice to get up to speed with the defense, yep. and then to have a very good showing against the Buffalo. Uh, didn't get off blocks, didn't uh, seem to have an understanding of the defense and where we're supposed to fit. So for George Payton, for Nathaniel Hackett, um, does Joe Schobert present an upgrade over Alex Singleton and Justin Stranad and Barrington Wade? Apparently not enough to warrant a deeper look at him being on this roster. Well, what are your thoughts? Because you saw him in the game, right? I yep. mean, this guy was only on the team for eight days. Eight days. He was on the streets <laughs> um, training. I, I have a similar story, of course. I didn't. I didn't make as much money as right. Joe Schobert did right. in my career. But when I got cut by the Broncos, it was like in, in January or February of 2009. And then I spent February, March, April, May, June, July, August just working out on my own, waiting for that call. Had a couple workouts with a couple different teams. Finally got signed to the Cleveland Browns, Chad. I spent six days there. Mm-hmm. I suited up for one preseason game. Didn't even really get a lot of run. And then I got cut the next day. And right. it was like, what, what What was that about? I right. didn't get to show what I could do. You know, and I'm sure Joe Schobert is saying the same thing. How, how do you expect me to go out there and play well? Like you said, no padded practices. Uh, still trying to learn the system. And you throw me out there, and I'm not even in football shape. How did they get, even get a good enough look at him to know if he was right for the system? Uh, I, I think they already had an opinion based on what they watched on film. Joe Schobert has 90 career starts under his belt. Yeah. 15 starts last year for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So it wasn't as if this guy was in complete unknown. And there's a reason why he was no longer with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So the deficiencies in his game that didn't warrant the Steelers bringing him back were exposed in his short time with the Broncos, particularly that game with the Bills. And I think, again, for Coach Hackett and Coach Everett and for George Payton, they saw enough and decided, let's go with our younger guys because this guy doesn't present an upgrade over those guys. So what's going to be the plan? Inside linebacker, then. Why are you asking me hard questions first thing in the morning? I mean, let's do it. <laughs> We're coming out of the gate firing. This is something why I would say this is the most pressing issue, right? Yeah. That the Broncos are having right now. Who's going to be starting in the middle? Jonas Griffith dislocated his elbow a couple weeks ago. He's probably a couple weeks from getting back out there. Um, Joe Schobert, eh, hoping he's the answer. He's gone. So, so what are they going to do? Uh, apparently, a couple hours, maybe a day after the Griffith injury, he was already using that elbow, already moving it around, according to Coach Hackett, so that was a good sign. What do you mean using the elbow? You know, when you hyperextend <laughs> your elbow, sometimes they want to immobilize it right. to, to kind of let it set back into place. Is it unusual? Sorry to derail your train of no, thought No, that's there. okay. But do you have two dislocated elbows in preseason? I think it is, um, but I think it's when you're trying to arm tackle. It's, it's, and, exactly. So your lack of tackling in practice. Mm. 
then you know you don't hone that skill set because the Broncos have yet to have a full speed tackling drill in practice. Right. You end up sticking your arm out there, and then your arm gets hit in the back by a teammate, and you hyperextend or or dislocate your elbow. I think uh, o- Michael Ojemudia has a hyperextended elbow. Okay. Jonas Griffin was a dislocated elbow. Okay. Um, but for Jonas Griffin, I'm hearing he's already moving it according to Coach Hackett, so that's a good sign as to his return. But he's going to have to wear one of those giant uncomfortable braces on that thing for most of the season. It'll never really be right until the season's over. Uh, so Have you ever had to wear one of those? Uh, I wore it for a week, and I was like, I just got to find a way to tough this out because yeah. this thing is big and bulky, and I feel like I'm uh, like RoboCop out there playing with that big thing. Uh, maybe maybe <laughs> RoboCop Alan- probably would have been pretty good out there. <laughs> he probably would have been. You're right. Um, so if Jonas can't return, I think the – Starting linebacker opposite Josie Jewell will be end up being Alex Singleton. Mm. Led the Eagles in tackles the last two seasons. Um, I don't. I haven't seen any truly outstanding play from him. Uh, he does get the ball carried down. He does make tackles a few yards downfield, a few more yards downfield than what I would have preferred. Six, seven yards downfield, making tackles instead of two or three yards downfield. But um, you know, with this position at inside linebacker being what it's been the last couple seasons, the fact that they haven't tried to address it in the draft or in free agency uh, may come back to bite them once again. So would you kick the tires on any uh, any other veteran inside linebackers out there? Or would you just roll with who you got at this point? Um, you know, I'm not sure who is available and who's on their couch at this point. What about Alexander Johnson? Uh, you know, I think they had a good chance to look at all the tape on him. There's a reason why they haven't brought him back. Mm. Um, so despite him being a pro football focus, a guy yeah, yeah. that pro football focus loves, clearly George Payton and Nathaniel Hackett didn't think that pro football focus love warranted a roster spot on this Broncos team. Kenny Young? Uh, he's not, I'm not, did Kenny Young sign with somebody? I think he did sign did with he? Some, I think so. Uh, okay. Yeah, so uh, I'm, you know. I, I apparently they're going to roll with these guys again. The, the action versus the Buffalo Bills. I didn't see a lot of good from Joe Schobert, from Alex Singleton, from Barrington Wade, or from Justin Sternad. Uh, I think Malga played late in the game, but clearly he's a undrafted college free agent, so they're not high level expectations from him. So those four guys I just mentioned, one of well, I guess only three now because Schobert's been cut. Uh, Singleton seems to be the best guy to be positioned to be the starter, but I don't think we can expect tremendous inside linebacker play from any of those guys, particularly early in the season. Well, also cut yesterday was Casey Tucker, a tackle from Arizona State, Stevie Scott the third, a running back from Indiana, and Trey Quinn, wide receiver who we talked about yesterday as having had a pretty good game last game and coming up with some catches, obviously not enough to keep him on the team. Uh, Trey Quinn going into year four, I think that was the biggest issue. Yeah. Do we take this guy who's got to, who's going to take more money just purely from a veteran salary standpoint, or do we go with one of our younger guys who is still showing some flash? Uh, and also, I think sometimes when it's a veteran who's going to be released, you want to release him as early as possible so you get an opportunity to catch on with another team. I think Trey Quinn did everything right uh, as far as showing the coaches what he's got, trying to find a way to excel last game, connected with Brett Ripon, particularly in that fourth quarter of that game. But in the end, this upside for all these young guys like Brandon Johnson and Montreal Washington didn't uh, leave a roster spot for a guy like Trey Quinn. So another position group where there still seems to be some decisions to be made by the coaches, the tight end room. Um, they, they got five guys right now that I, I think they like all of them, Andrew Beck and 
Coach Hackett talked at length about Andrew Beck and, and the Swiss Army knife kind of guy that he is, able to play fullback, able to play uh, you know, out wide, able to stretch the defense down the seam, run vertically. He talked about his ability to do that. If you can play football, uh, I'm sorry, fullback and run vertically well, that seems like there's going to be a spot on the team for Andrew Beck. He's a special teams guy as well. Greg Dulcich been dealing with a hammy the whole time. We haven't seen much out of him. Eric Saubert, maybe your most complete tight end, but um, how do they feel about him? Eric Tomlinson, how do they feel about that guy? And then Albert O, clearly they had him playing in the fourth quarter, so it shows you how they feel about them or him. What are they going to do there? What are they going to do there? Uh, they are going to keep evaluating this position. I think they want Greg Dulcich to come back as soon as possible. Um, but Coach uh, Hackett talked about his was it his dad who told him, or maybe it was Tom Landry who told his dad that whenever a guy has a hamstring injury, when they return to action, don't uh, give him another week mm. to let that thing recover so they don't go out there and tweak it again. But, yeah, there's a bit of a log jam at this position, but no one has truly emerged. Alberto had a nice grab in the end zone, caught the ball out of bounds, but the run blocking still has yet to be uh, what is desired. Eric Tomlinson, uh, not quite the receiver they're hoping for. Eric Salbert, maybe the best skill set, but is he a jack-of-all-trades, master of none? And then Andrew Beck, a little bit more of that fullback role. I have yet to see him really you know, run down the seam and be explosive. I think he's capable, but I have yet to see it. So there's just so much. Uh, to be seen and so much to be understood at this position. Uh, I expect to see all these guys play again outside of Greg Dulcich on Saturday night and uh, we'll see how this competition emerges. I, I don't see a way for them to keep one, two, three, four, five guys in that room. That's a, that's a crowded tight end room, even if they all represent separate skill sets. Yeah, they all represent different skill sets, and Coach Hackett said he likes to have that, you know, guys who could do different things well. But are you going to try to have a guy who does everything well, you know? And he, he hasn't played his starters. He, he doesn't want to play his starters except for the tight end position. Mm -hmm. One of those guys is going to be the starter. And so he is playing his starter when it comes to the tight end group because they need it. So I guess the assumption is the other starters don't need it. Um, but we're going to see. We're going to see on September 12th. So uh, speaking of cuts, there's one position group the Broncos have that's still pretty crowded. We haven't touched on it yet. Could there be a surprise odd man out scenario coming soon? We're going to talk about that next. It's Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. We are live at Colorado Credit Union. Yep, you can hear it. Um, hey, did you know that almost anyone can join Colorado Credit Union? I'm talking anyone. If you live or work in the Denver metro area, you are eligible to join and take advantage of low rates. Hey, maybe you got a home remodeling project this fall, but you're not sure how you'll pay for it? Colorado Credit Union Home Equity Line of Credit may just be the solution. Visit ccu.org to apply today. All right, Chad, so uh, before the break, we're talking about cuts and position battles. There's 80 guys on the team right now, 80 guys trying to keep the dream alive, 53 spots on the active roster, you're going to have 16 practice squad spots. And I think probably the most crowded room right now and the most, the room with the most question is the wide receiver room. Okay, so you got Cortland Sutton. He's making the team. Yep. Jerry Judy. Think he's going to make it? I think so. You think so? Mm-hmm. Jerry Judy's going to make the team. What about K.J. Hamler? K.J. Hamler is going to make this team. No matter what? 
No matter what. No scenario in which they decide that KJ is not going to be part of the 53-man roster. Uh, injury if, reserve, that is a possibility. If he just can't recover in time and, and the hip and knee issues are somehow lingering on, I don't think that's the case. He returned back to practice yesterday in some limited work. So KJ Hamler will make this football team. There's three. You think there's any world in which they're trying to push him out there to see if he's ready to go, and if he's not, they're going to cut him. Okay, wow. Well, I think that warrants some explanation there. So they're not allowed to cut you if you are injured. Right. So a lot of times uh, teams will, uh, in a very uncool way, very uncool, get you to go back out there and practice, yep. get you on tape, Oh, he practiced. Now we can, now we can cut him. Right. I don't think they're doing that to KJ Hamler. I think they have a plan and a hope for KJ Hamler to be a big part of this offense this year. So, uh, yeah, they're not doing the sneaking. Let's get you on tape so that we can cut you thing. Do you think they're trying to see if it's worth keeping him on the fifty-three man roster or putting him on injured reserve? Uh, no, I think they are trying to be as cautious and as careful as possible. Um, and. You know, with Coach Hackett saying his number one goal for this team coming out of training camp is for it to be healthy for a guy coming off knee surgery, ACL surgery, not just knee surgery, but ACL surgery and hip surgery. Uh, I think a cautious approach is warranted. Um, but, yeah, I don't think there's anything nefarious going on. They're not trying to get him on tape so they can cut him. Not, they don't want to put him out there and see, oh, you can't go week one, we're going to put you on IR, or even short-term IR. I think they are counting on him early in the season, and I've just been cautious out of concern for him being able to get back on the field and be consistent, that be sustained, and not get back on the field, oh, now my hamstring's injured because my knee's still not right, and all that kind of, you know, the chain of the injury effect that can happen to players. Yeah, you talked about the, the rule of coming back for, with a hamstring and taking your time with that, right. the ACL plus the hip surgery. Right. Probably should take extra time. you got to remember, this was less than a year when he had this injury. And let's not forget, he had hamstring issues his Rookie year. That's right. So for a guy who's already you know prone to muscle pulls to come off, you know two different surgeries on major body parts as a wide receiver, where running is your skill set and your game, uh, I think the abundance of caution that we have seen is warranted. Got to be extremely frustrating for KJ. I mean, as a football player, your whole self worth is when you're out there on the field, not when you're rehabbing, not when you're watching, not when you're having to flip on the radio and hear stuff like this. Mm -hmm. You know, so so uh, Nathaniel Hackett has talked at length about. KJ's competitiveness and how he's always telling him, let me out there, coach. Let me out there, coach. So it is worth bringing him along at his pace. Okay, you got Cortland Sun, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler. You got Those guys are locks. Yep. What about Montreal, Washington? He's a lock. He has earned a spot on the roster, has flashed in the return game, both kickoff returns and punt returns. And then he's, I think, a far better receiver than they anticipated being. So Coach Hackett said that's a bit of an issue uh, because we were just thinking about having him as a returner, but now he's earned a slot as our one of our receivers. Um, and you know, now is he going to be so good as a receiver that that forces us to take him away from the return game? Oof. That's a good problem to have, no doubt about that. Um, well, that yeah. brings up an interesting question that I was going to ask when you were saying that. Is he a good enough receiver to make the team just based on his receiver skills? Uh, Is he a better receiver than Kendall Hinton? Is uh, he a better receiver than Brandon Johnson? Uh, wow. You know, I haven't had a chance to 
do a comparison type of deep dive, but he certainly has been productive in the games, in the return game, but also and also as a receiver. So um, I think they can use him in some of those ways they were anticipating using K.J. Hamler. We saw the attempt at that uh, reverse in that game against the Cowboys that actually got blown up for a tackle for a loss. It wasn't Montreal Washington's fault. Um, so those kinds of things, I think, to incorporate him in the office in the offense, taking advantage of his skill set as returning and try to get him the ball in the open field uh, while K.J. Hamler is returning from his dual surgeries, I think also presents a great upside for him being used in this offense quite uh, a bit early in the season. Okay, so those four guys, we'll both agree, are going to be on the team. Yes. Now, the question is, which guys are going to remain? How many total receivers are they going to keep? Five or six? If they keep six, you got two more. Okay, and I'm going to throw the list at you of the remaining guys, and you pick two of those. Okay. Kendall Hinton. Uh, nope. Brandon Johnson. Yep. Tyree Cleveland. Uh, nope. Really? I know he's a core special. He's team a core guy. special teamer. But he they hasn't... talked about the emphasis on special teams, right? And Coach Stukes, when he came in, he mentioned Tyree Cleveland. I think in his opening presser about being a core guy, and I know they like having a wide receiver as part of the core special teams unit. So if it's not him, who's it going to be? See, I lean towards Jalen Virgil because of the upside that he presents as a wide receiver. Definitely not the same kind of guy in the special teams game. Um, but that's 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 the difficulty of being George Payton and trying to decide. Because we just talked about this tight end room. And there's five tight ends that they seemingly need just to be able to pull off all the skill sets. Just to be able to, to have a competent tight end room. Which may be a problem. Right. So if they got five guys there, then that takes away what you can do in the wide receiver room. Because I could say, oh, there's room for seven. Because if you include Brandon Johnson and Jalen Virgil and Tyree Cleveland, now that would, now we're at seven. You got your special teams guy in Cleveland. You got your you got Brandon Johnson, the probably the most promising receiver of all the young receivers as far as the receiver skills. And Jalen Virgil has something that you just can't coach, and that's tremendous speed. And has shown uh, his hands as the preseason has gone along. So, the three guys: Judy, Camler, uh, Hamler, and Sudden. Those are locks. Montreal, Washington. And then after that, I think you can argue for a bunch of guys. How do you see this wide receiver room breaking down? When you talk about, you know, Jalen Virgil's receiving skills, clear, those have been clear to me. Um, he's fast. He's got good hands. He's got good instincts out there. He's flashed quite a lot of camp. And that was after being stuck at the bottom of the, uh, of the depth chart as well. He was able to shine. He's had some good games. But at the same time, if you are the number five receiver, what is the likelihood you're going to actually get in a game and catch passes? Very little. Right. So if you want to suit up, you got to be on special teams, right? right. So where does Jalen Virgil or Brandon Johnson fit in that equation? Would you trust either of those guys on a special teams unit? Jalen Virgil at 6'1", 210 is a good-sized guy. So he's certainly not a tiny little receiver where he can't participate in special teams. Um, I you know, doubt he's got you know, amazing special teams prowess, be ready to be the same kind of contributor that Tyree Cleveland is on special teams. Um, but there's certainly some possibility from a size size perspective. Brandon Johnson, 6'2", 195. Uh, had a chance to have the production meeting with him. He seems like the kind of guy who would take any opportunity to get on the field in any way. Special teams would not be beneath them. You know, you meet some uh, players, particularly at the wide receiver position, first-round draft choices, who would think, ah, oh, special teams are a little bit below me, you know? Right. And uh, while you're at it, please pass me my great Poupon. Uh, neither one of those guys seem like those kind of guys. So uh, would you take a step back from Tyree Cleveland? Possibly. 
But those guys have the size, uh, they have the skill set uh, as receivers, and then the size and ability and possibly the want to to be special teams guys as well. Yeah, I think a lot of this, the way they're going to go is based on also this, the, the need of other teams for receivers, mm-hmm. right? Because ideally, some of these guys you like because you can't keep them all. You want to cut one, cut a couple of them, have them clear waivers, and have them come back on your practice squad. I don't think you, I don't think Jalen Virgil clears waivers. He gets claimed. Uh, Brandon Johnson doesn't clear waivers. He gets claimed. You think so? I think so. Seth Williams? Uh, possibly you could sneak him onto the practice squad. Yeah. So the question is, what has more value to you, having a special teams guy or having some young, talented guys who probably won't sniff the field unless somebody gets hurt? But you got K.J. Amler, who we, we don't know if he will be ready or not. Jerry Judy's had some injury issues. Corlin Sutton has had some injury issues. So you do have to stack your receiver room with a kind of depth that you feel comfortable plucking one of those guys from the back and actually putting him in a game. And for Tyree Cleveland, you know, with the broken throat, essentially, um, he doesn't return until the regular season. I'm not sure where he's actually at. What do you mean broken throat? He got hit in his throat. Uh, what do you mean is broken? Though? Uh, what's this thing? Uh, larynx? Is your not Windpipe? Your I guess it's esophagus because Adam's apple is just the Adam's apple. the part that pokes out. But what yeah. is this thing called? Like that cage thing in your throat that protects your your windpipe, thorax. I don't know what is it called, guys. Does anybody anybody is, know any scientists? You guys in are here? just you guys are just awesome no. bankers. No one's yeah. a uh, You're just number doctor. People. All right, wrong location. All right, so yeah, whatever that is, he the broke throat. it. Yeah. He broke his throat uh, for lack of a scientific uh, specificity. He broke his throat, and he won't be back until the regular season. So, but do a, we know is he coming back soon? Uh, the thought is he'll be back for the regular season. That's the last I have heard. Okay. So I, I guess if I were to have to, to choose this six, um, I would choose Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Cortland Sutton, Montreal, Washington, Brandon Johnson, and Jalen Virgil. All right. So once again, you and I are on the same page. Yeah. I hate this because we're supposed to do the radio thing. I know. Good cop, bad cop. We disagree. We fight about it. But it's hard because Kendall Hinton, man, he's been pretty consistent. He doesn't doesn't flash. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but he's reliable. He, he's, he's savvy. You know, he has, he's got good hands. He's got good instincts. And Russell Wilson likes him. That's one thing we're not taking into account because all the stuff we've seen with Brandon Johnson and Jalen Virgil and Seth Williams, that's with, jo- that's with Josh Johnson mm-hmm. and Brett Rippon. Who does Russ like, right? Who is Russ into? Uh, we don't know that. And maybe Russell Wilson has something to say about that. Um, okay, so if we rewind a year ago, Chad. Okay. We're, what we were talking about? Maybe I'll flip a coin. 50-50. Yes, the backup Teddy or Drew. Right. Uh-huh. Pete Carroll, uh, coach of the Seattle Seahawks, gave an update on where things stand between Drew Locke and Geno Smith ahead of week one, and it's eerily familiar to what we've been dealing with. We'll get into that next. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Well, our textures have been... Uh, Enlightening us to the possible technical term of uh, Tyree Cleveland's throat injury, and, and it's re- really running the gamut. It is. We got esophagus. We got larynx. We got probably broken cricoid cartilage. We got hyoid bone in the throat. We got tracea. Which then we got trachea. Right. Then we got hyoid bone. Bone. <laughs> With wow. two L's. Yeah. So. Right. 
thank you for that, guys. Um, in addition to that, we got some clarification on Kenny Young. He is still a free agent. He was signed by the Raiders and, and let go. Okay. So Kenny Young is out there uh, if the Broncos were interested in kicking the tires there, but probably not. Ejero Ivero was his coach mm -hmm. with the Rams, and they let him go. So maybe he knows more about Kenny Young than we do. Uh, clearly, the Rams let him go, and then with an opportunity to bring Kenny Young uh, back after this season. Again, didn't make an attempt to re-sign him. So I think Coach Evero has seen what he needs to see from Kenny Young and is going to go with the guys who are on, on this roster. Yeah. All right, so Russell Wilson is the quarterback of the Denver Broncos now, and we don't have to talk about a quarterback competition unless we're talking about the backups. But in Seattle, no such luck exists. Those guys are embroiled in a quarterback competition between Drew Locke and Geno Smith. Word is that Pete Carroll is going to call Vic Fangio to come down to Seattle and flip a coin. <laughs> All right? Vic is going to flip a coin, but Pete Carroll is being asked uh, about this every single day, all day long, like Vic was last year. Pete had an interesting answer yesterday, and we're going to hear it right now. You know, I can go ahead and just call it, but I'm, I want to let the guys battle and let them show you know, where they are and let us get as much information as possible. Um, Gino's done a really good job of being in that position. Uh, his voice is solid. Uh, he's, he's on point all the time. He's been very consistent with his work, all of that. And Drew has been really sharp, you know. So what do we, you know, it's... I know it's not supposed to be a good situation when you have two quarterbacks. It means you don't have one, as the old saying, you know. But I don't know if that's... We might have two ones. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Two ones. Maybe I'll flip a coin. Kind of sounds to me, Chad, tell me if I'm wrong, but he's going to go with Drew. Because he's talking about Gino's voice. His voice is strong? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Is he trying to give him compliments when there aren't many to give? Uh, yeah, I think uh, that was a coach searching there, and the coach trying to present as much of a positive spin as possible. Um, yeah, you got two number one quarterbacks, yet when the NFL, uh, when folks have put out their quarterback ratings, neither one of these guys is in the top 40. So how do you have two number ones when you have two quarterbacks who aren't in the top 40? Um, yeah. I, 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 and then he started the clip by saying, I could call it right now, but I want these guys to compete. Why, as a coach, would you force your team through this competition thing if you could call it right now? If you could end the competition right now, have your team hitch their wagons to the number one guy. This is the guy we're going to you know, roll with all season long. This is the guy who's going to lead us and begin to set up that kind of thinking and feeling in the locker room. Why would you allow this competition to continue? He doesn't know who it's going to be. Mm. He's not happy with either one of these mm. guys. And that was just uh, coach uh, spin, lies, and hyperbole. Do you think part of his dissatisfaction with with the performance of both these quarterbacks has to do with the fact that he just had Russell Wilson there for 10 years who's one of the top well, has been one of the top 5 quarterbacks in the NFL during that time I would is, it, is, is it a little bit of that I would love to be in the Seahawk offensive coaches meetings when they're watching tape when they're reviewing practice Russ wouldn't have done that uh, I'm sure very early on almost every coach said something like that and I'm sure Pete probably had to say at some point all right, we got to reset our standards. We got to reset our eyes. Uh, we're so used to seeing what Russell Wilson would do. Obviously, he's not going to be walking through that door again. We got to roll with one of these two guys. So, how do we evaluate these guys while not comparing them to what we had the last 10 years under center? That's a difficult thing, I think, for a coach, coaching staff to do because you can't help but say, oh, this was the guy who set the tone for us. This is the standard for the quarterback position around here. But now I've got to evaluate Drew Locke and Geno Smith. Neither one of those guys at even a top 40 quarterback. Last time I checked, there's only 32 uh, teams in the NFL.
Yeah, that's not good. No, it's not good at all. That's not good. So Pete Carroll went on to talk about whether or not it, there was anything Drew could do to catch Gino. Yeah, I'm wide open for whatever happens. You know, I mean, Gino has been the guy in the lead position the whole time, and I've protected that thought with, uh, you know, throughout. And, and he's done a really nice job. He's been very consistent. Um, so we'll just see what happens. And, and you know, there's two more weeks of practice too after this. So there's where the timeline. I had a set thought on the I mean, what we would do with the timeline, but that got disrupted. And so um, we're, you know, we're going to use all the time we need. <laughs> You're laughing. You're yes. laughing, Chad. I'm laughing, yes, because it's funny. Why? This guy, before, before you tell me why it's funny, uh-huh. Pete Carroll, very few men in the world right. who know football better mm-hmm. than Pete Carroll. Right. So might he be onto something? Might he have his finger on the pulse? Might he be pulling the right levers? Might he? Might he? No, I don't think so. Why? I, because when you start a clip by saying, I could call it right now, but then I want a competition... Um, and then you're, you're talking out of both sides of your your, your face. If it's, if it's if you could call it, then call it. Maybe what he means is he knows the guy he likes better, uh-huh. but he wants to continue to push that guy to get better over the next couple of weeks before he actually takes the field. Well, on then that, that's a direct indicator that you don't have the guy. Right. If this guy needs to be pushed by the backup to somehow play better, then I don't have the guy. That guy should have the guy should have all the internal motivation and drive. It's got nothing to do with who's behind me. Russell Wilson doesn't care who's behind him. He shows up early, stays late. He puts his work in. He occupies his office and does all the, his presentation for the coaches. That's what Russell Wilson does, regardless of who's Wait, behind him. You don't him. think Drew Locke has an office in Seattle? I'm pretty sure he Come does on. not. Yeah. Wow. I'm pretty sure he doesn't present the coaches with a 15-page dossier. It's probably only 10. <laughs> probably only 10. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, so I don't buy – I like Pete. I like Pete personally. I like Pete as a coach. It was a pleasure to be on that coaching staff for that time. I think it would be fun to be coached by Pete. So there's no pushback on Pete, but he's in a uncomfortable situation and has to publicly spin this as best he can. And in the midst of those two clips we heard, he presented contradictory uh, statements. Uh, he's trying to spin this, and it's coming across as spin and coach speak. Is there any doubt, though, that they don't have the guy. I don't think he's trying to convince anybody that they have the long-term solution there. Right. They gave up Russell Wilson. They gave that guy up. There's going to be a void there. They got a lot back in return. But for for that to pay dividends, it's going to take some time. Do you think he really has to convince anybody that he has the guy amongst those two? Or no. just put out the best guy to try to win some games and see what happens? When your competition between your two quarterbacks is not so much about who emerges, because neither one of these guys have emerged, and instead is who sucks less. That's not a real Who truth. sucks less? Yes. Wow. <laughs> that's a depressing competition, isn't it? it it's, it's sad, but that's where this competition is because it's not about, oh, my gosh, well, Drew Locke got COVID and Geno Smith went out there and lit it up, but I want to make sure I give Drew Locke a chance to compete in game three. No, Drew Locke got COVID and Geno Smith was awful. So it's not about, oh, this quarterback emerged. It's like, oh, these both these guys have sucked. Let's find a guy who sucks less. So if the guy who wins the who sucks less competition yep. ends up leading his team to victory against the Broncos on September 12th, mm-hmm. then we'll have a problem. We will, that will, I will speak to our own separate set of problems. But right now I'm focused on the Seahawks and Pete Carroll's problem of trying to figure out who sucks less at their quarterback spot. Well, Pete Carroll went on to talk about whether or not he would consider playing two quarterbacks. Would you ever consider playing two quarterbacks at once? Or is it- that, that can happen. I <laughs> love that. 
Don't what, do it, Pete. You can't reinvent the wheel? Don't do it, Pete. This ain't college Come football, on, man. Why? You kidding me? You're not Florida and Steve Spurrier. Where you're having quarterbacks trade off every other series, every other quarter. But why can't that work in the NFL? Why? Why? Why can't an unorthodox approach to quarterback play work in an NFL where everyone prepares the exact same way? There is not enough practice time during the week for one quarterback to throw to the his set of receivers. Now i got to get two quarterbacks enough to practice time. NFL practices aren't structured that way. It's just simply not enough opportunity for two quarterbacks to somehow split and get even reps and both those guys be effective. Both these quarterbacks, if they're named the starter, will need every single rep they can get to somehow split those reps and expect these guys who are already not good enough to excel and that no, it's a ridiculous scenario and thought. And the fact that Pete entertained it speaks even further to how poor this competition really is. Mm. As a defensive player, how would you react to this? Okay, an offensive football team comes out into the huddle with two quarterbacks. I would they laugh. Go, they go to the line of scrimmage and they split the line. Uh huh. They got two lines: three offensive linemen over here. Yep. Three over here. A quarterback behind each one of them, and a skill position player between the two lines, and one out here. And they can snap it to either line and take advantage of the defense. Split the defense in half. Yes. <laughs> oh, we got him, folks. No, you don't. Think about that. No, Think you about don't. that a little bit, okay? <laughs> when we come back, DenverFan.com senior Broncos writer Andrew Mason is going to join us. But first, how did the Rockies fare? Here's Spilly to fill us in. It's Around the Bases, presented by Bet River Sportsbook with Ryan Spielborgs. Here's Spilly. Fun night at the yard on Tuesday. Rockies matched up against the Texas Rangers, the first of a two-game series. And for the Rockies, Ramon Marcus at the end of it said he's freaking exhausted with the frustration of the season. He lasted six innings, six earned runs. He still hung in there long enough with the Rockies. They came from behind. Two three-run shots, a shot from Elias Diaz, another home run for C.J. Crone, and the Rockies won on Tuesday night 7-6. Now, for C.J. Crone, it has been a really difficult second half of the season. Really didn't experience the all-star break, got hit by a pitch, dealing with the hamstring issue. He did not play on Sunday, did not play Monday, that was a day off, did not pick up a bat, and then last night had two hits, including an opposite field three-run shot, so that was big for C.J. The Rockies will go on the road after today to a day game. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. Yeah, we're talking fantasy football during the break here at Colorado Credit Union. Yeah. Um, hey, are you in the market for a new car? Colorado Credit Union offers low auto loan rates and 90 days before your first payment. Visit ccu.org to apply uh, with three convenient locations. You're never too far from a Colorado Credit Union branch. All right. um, We welcome in our DenverFan.com senior Broncos writer, Andrew Mason, on the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline. How are you doing, Andrew? All right. How are you doing? Oh, we're doing pretty good. So, Earlier in the show, we were talking about this crowded wide receiver room and how this is going to shake up, and specifically whether Tyree Cleveland was going to be a guy they kept on the active roster. I think they got a pretty difficult decision ahead of them there because you figure Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Montreal Washington are locks to make the team. After that, you got a bunch of guys who've been playing really well. How does the back end of that receiver room shape out? Well, the thing is, with, with Tyree Cleveland, if he makes it, it's not going to be 
as a wide receiver. It's going to be as a special teamer. And it's just a question of saying, all right, he, he, he's a valued member. You know, he's what they, you know, what, what some coaches would call a four phaser on special teams. He's a, he's a valuable part of it. And does that outweigh the fact that you've got someone like Brandon Johnson, who's, who's been emerging, someone like, uh, uh Jalen Virgil making, uh, making, making deep, deep ball plays, uh, someone, uh, you know, like Seth Williams, who's kind of that same type of, same body type of receiver, uh, that Tyree Cleveland is, although he's not as proficient on special teams as, as Tyree Cleveland. So it's almost, you know, Dwayne Stukes keeps saying Cleveland's a core special teamer, and every indication I've gotten is that he's going to be on the 50, on the fifty three uh, because of that. And then it becomes okay: Are we going to keep seven wide receivers, including Montreal Washington? Or are we going to keep uh, six? And frankly, if they keep six, that means they're keeping five tight ends. If they keep seven receivers, they're keeping four tight ends, which means one of them's which means one of them's got to go. I mean, basically, it comes down to the, the value of special teams, and you guys know on the back end of that roster. I mean that's that's huge. That's a that's a difference maker. And so I think every time I kind of do a mock fifty three in in my, in my head, I've got Cleveland on that roster because I know because of how they feel about him as a special team. Okay, well you just talked about the tight end position, uh, Mace. Uh, either four or five, depending on how this receiver room breaks down. If it's only going to be four, who's the four? Yeah, um, I mean, the thing is, if there's only going to be four, it means probably Andrew Beck or, or Eric Sobert's not making it because you figure Tomlin, Eric Tomlinson is the blocking specialist. He's going to be in. Greg Dolcich, with the hamstring, even with the hamstring issue, they're still counting on at some point. Now, the thing that they could do, the old roster manipulation thing, is that you could, you know, you could start off with Dolcich on the 53. And let's say you've decided that Eric Salbert is, you know, going to be the guy that you kind of roll the, roll the dice on as, and he's a vested veteran. I mean, you could do the old thing where you, you cut Eric Salbert, you bring him back after, uh, after a week to circumvent being on the hook for the, on the hook for the salary for the entire year. And then you keep, you, you have Dolcich on the 53 for the short term. And then if he hasn't, if the hamstring hasn't responded, put him on injured reserve, but then you can have him back later in the year. If you put, if you, if you kept four on the 53 and decided on that initial 53 that Dulcich was going to be IR, you could do that. But if he, if he's on IR when you name the 53 at the deadline next Tuesday, then he's out for the year. He has to be on the, he has to be on the actual 53 man roster before a day before you can put him on IR. So, Kind of a question of are they willing to, to, to roll the dice on? And I think it's most likely among that room because and Andrew Beck, he's got a special teams role. I think it's most likely among that room that they would probably try to see if they could sneak Eric Saubert through and then bring him back. But do they think they can do that? And certainly, another thing on Saubert is he's got you know he, he's got a good on field relationship and a meeting room relationship with Russell Wilson. So do they do they want to do they want to chance that? Knowing how Russ values him, I mean, it's, it's kind of a it's kind of a tough call there at receiver and tight end. Some of these decisions, guys, could simply come down to which players are they most likely to be able to get back on the practice have passed through waivers and get back on the practice squad, or even uh, uh, bring them back a, a couple of days later if you make other injury injured reserve injured reserve moves on the back end of the roster. Yeah, it's funny that we're talking about Eric Saubert as possibly being a casualty of cuts, and he is the most complete tight end on the roster, and he was a camp darling early. It's interesting how that shakes out. All right, man, when I was young, 
uh, I, and the way I consume football is I would watch the game on Sunday and then I would turn the TV off. And then the next week, I would watch the game again, then I would turn the TV off. That was the product, the game itself. We didn't get a glimpse into the process like we do now. Now the process is under scrutiny. So much content, uh, the draft, mini camps, preseason, um, training camp access. Are we, are we too busy judging Nathaniel Hackett's process? Do we have to step back and let the product speak for itself? And when I say that, do we have to step all the way back and let the season play out and see how his process works over an entire season before we start calling him soft and scared and all those names that he's been uh, called lately? Yes. I mean, it, it's the wise thing to do. And I, I th- honestly, I think the same thing sometimes that, that I mean, that we, it, we're we're turning into the kind of this day-to-day drama, right? And I, I was talking a little bit about this with uh, Tyler and DMAC on, on air yesterday. I mean, really, the answer to a lot of these questions is we don't know. Uh, is it good? Is it bad? What's the impact going to be? We don't know. We're not – and I don't even think we're going to know early in the season. I mean, Hackett earlier this week, uh, it was on Monday – and he was asked about just, you know, he was asked specifically about not playing Russell Wilson and what do you say to the fans uh, about that. And first, he started the response first by apologizing for how the team played on Saturday. But he said that, you know, he, it's, it's something that obviously they've done in Green Bay. It's about long-term health. It's about the, the long-term course of the season. And he said, look, you get to week 17, week week 18, People are going to understand, and his experience is is that it, it will take it, it may it will take that time. I mean, he looked up at the end of the last three years, Green Bay won thirteen games each season. I can't blame him for looking at Green Bay's process to all this and saying, "Okay, we're going to do that here." Because in terms of broad broad spectrum work, the broad sample size. You can't argue with their results. Are you frustrated that they, in, in Packerland, are, are they frustrated that they haven't won the Super Bowls the last three years and that they've flamed out in the playoffs? Absolutely. But the playoffs are kind of a ran, are, can be kind of a random outcome. In the big picture, what they have done has proven to be successful. I can't blame him for feeling that way. And because, and, 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 and because the long-term success was more, I think he's, he's got that bigger picture. In his mind, he's experienced how it works. We in Denver have not seen that. And so I think some of, his, some of his optimism and local skepticism comes from the fact that he has seen it succeed. It hasn't, we haven't seen that. We don't know. And maybe this is just where we, everyone kind of just take a step back from the ledge a little bit, let this play out. And if we're talking about the Broncos having a good season and, having, and, and being in better health at the end of the year than they have been, then I think everyone will, will be okay with it. We will see. Time will tell. Uh, as Gary Kubiak once said, um, we're fixing to find out, Andrew Mason. Yep. <laughs> uh, I, I follow you on Twitter because you are such a great follow, Andrew. CBS Sports Network tweeted out yesterday a, a, a quote from Adam Shine. This is the most embarrassing, saddest, most pathetic quarterback competition of all time between Drew Locke and Geno Smith. Uh, your response was no. It was the Mark Sanchez, Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch room in 2016. That was the worst quarterback competition of all time. Break that down for me, Andrew. Well, I even wrote a, at a previous stop in my professional life. I actually wrote a, a piece reflecting on that in, in 20, 
16 being the saddest competition I'd ever seen. And it was, you know, Gary, Gary Kubiak being pushed to his wits end by, by Paxton Lynch struggling. It was Mark Sanchez having, having a starting job in his hands at something that he craved for years to, to get back to after he started early in his career to coming back up. It was all there. And in practice, having a baffling inability to avoid throwing pick sixes to Lorenzo Doss. And then that turnover trend uh, uh, continuing in the games and, and Trevor Simeon just kind of being steady and unspectacular. I mean, really, with all respect to Trevor, it wasn't that he won the job as much as Mark Sanchez lost it. Um, and it just, you, you think about where they were the previous few years with Peyton Manning um, and where, and where it got too quickly. I mean, it just, it, 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 to me, it's still kind of the one that jumps out. Although there was an article, I believe it was on the ringer um, in the last couple of weeks that only had the Simeon Sanchez Lynch competition and, and also threw in Simeon versus Lynch of 2017 as the second worst of the 21st century. The one that they went with was what the Cleveland Browns had in 2017, which was Deshaun Kaiser, Cody Kessler, and Brock Osweiler. And they went on to an 0 16 season. I think maybe you can argue for that, but my experience is still, uh, I, I got to go with the 2016 competition. At least, at least with Drew Locke and Geno Smith and Seattle, at least Drew Locke has some kind of has some high level talent. I mean, he's got he, you know, he's got to work on the footwork. That's something we've always said about him. Everyone here knows the drill, but he's got he he's got some high level ability, and he can make some some high level throws from time to time. The kind that we just weren't seeing uh, in the 2016 camp. So that's why I'm still going to say that is a sadder competition than what the Seahawks have right now. All right, Mace, thanks so much for joining us, man. Uh, We'll talk to you next time. All right, mate, my pleasure, fellas. Have a great morning. All right, coming up next, we'll dive into this Broncos quarterback situation and hear more about what Pete Carroll had to say to Drew Locke. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of mySpecialMortgage.com.